Oh, it's cracking, lovely people. Welcome to the Big Feed Up HQ podcast, the podcast about nutrition, movement, outdoor experiences. I'm your host, as always, Matt Gardner, and I'm approaching 100 episodes. So if you're new to the show, after you've listened to this one, go back through the others, look at the titles, see what's resonating with you, and I hope you get something valuable, enjoyable from some of the shows. Now today I've got a really interesting lecturer, author and nutritional therapist on the show, a chap called Ray Griffiths. Now I've had a bit more time on my hands being at home, um, I hope you're all well and uh, looking after yourselves during this strange time. I've been reading more um, and I've really been getting into the connection between the mind and the body and diet what we're eating, how it influences our mood, our thoughts. And it's just really great to be able to get someone on who has a lot of experience in this area. Now, Ray's written numerous books. We'll go into those. And the most recent is called Depression, The Mind, Body, Diet and Lifestyle Connection. I'll link to all of Ray's work in the show notes. And I really hope you get something valuable out of the show today, lovely people. Just before we start, the podcast is brought to you by 33 Fuel and they produce natural and powerful sports nutrition products. We're talking chia seed energy gels. We're talking carbohydrate energy bars, protein bars, and you can get 10% off by using Matt10 at checkout on your first order. So I hope you enjoy the show and please let's welcome Ray. Ray, thanks for taking time to come on the show. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's really exciting to have, have a chat about this uh, subject of depression and how diet and lifestyle can have an amazing impact. Yeah, exactly, because obviously people listening to this, their circumstances would have changed drastically over the last couple of weeks. I know we were talking before we started recording about where we're based and what we're doing now, um, but I think it would just be great to let the listeners know uh, how you kind of uh, came to to do what you're um, you're doing at the moment, obviously um, writing and lecturing. Um, I know you've been a nutritional therapist for 20 years, which is incredible because I think I'm coming on uh, three years. Uh, so, yeah, it's great to have someone as experienced as yourself on the show. Yeah, so, I mean, really, it started from, from my early years just as a initially uh, as a young child wanting to be vegetarian and, and the struggles I had in the in the 60s growing up trying to um, find a diet that I, I was happy with and without these adults really forcing all these foods down on me which I just didn't want to eat and it was a it was an emotional struggle every mealtime um, and some of those struggles eventually led to me suffering from fatigue and I, I then through my 20s was looking for a way to, to, to get away from that fatigue and, and it led me on to looking at diet and nutrition and studying it uh, in my late 20s um, and it, it was absolutely fascinating. It was Patrick Holford in fact, I came across Patrick Holford's books and I, it, just the way he writes, the, the accessible way he, he writes, it, it just inspired me to learn more and more and more and I went to study at uh, the Institute for Rupture Nutrition in Putney and I went there for about 18 months um, but it, it didn't quite, studying that didn't quite 
um, fit with what I wanted to do. And I, I went off and studied uh, kinesiology initially um, with a guy called Richard Holding and Karen Cree. And they, they both have a really good biochemical background. And that opened me up even more to wanting to understand biochemistry and what goes on with health and fatigue. Um, and eventually I decided to uh, look at uh, studying for a master's degree in nutrition. Um, and that was at CN ELM in Wokingham. I had, had written some lectures for them on cancer and nutrition because I had a few cancer clients, so I, I knew them really well. Hmm. In fact, uh, Kate Neal, uh, who, uh, who was running CN ELM, she uh, interviewed me for Iron at Putney in, in, in the 90s. So I did my master's degree in um, personalized nutrition and got that master's degree. And, and, and things just kept increasing and lecturing increased and uh, it just keeps on going and going and, and you just can't stop. It's just so exciting. And then obviously when you when you qualified and started working with people, I know obviously you were communicating a lot of the information over uh, lectures and, and your writing, but when you were working with people um, years ago, did, did you find that, um, you know, you were getting cases around uh, mood um, and, you know, uh, the connection between what someone's eating and how they're feeling back then? Were people um, speaking about that? Because obviously now people are opening up um, and, you know, it's, it's talked about so much more often. Uh, did you find there was a bit of a kind of barrier back then or did you still get clients coming to see you? There was a barrier back then, and people tended tended to think that if the mood was low, that's because they were ill, not that there was any link between the illness and um, and depression. But I did notice uh, about 15 years ago, and that really fascinated me. I got hooked on some articles that looked at SSRIs and how they had anti-inflammatory effects. And that was really fascinating, that they weren't just working to raise serotonin, that they were having an anti-inflammatory effect as well. And that, that really hooked me to, to keep keep looking at researches that was coming out, to think, okay, so the brain's inflamed and the SSRIs are having an anti-inflammatory effect. And what does that mean? So, yeah, that, that, that kept me looking out for, for, for literature as, as I moved on. And then when I moved into working with Parkinson's, because... Uh, Parkinson's and mitochondria was my dissertation for my master's I then started to be aware of, of, of mood and inflammation in, in these people as well and I think maybe that's the first place to start if we're going to kind of try to unpack this because obviously people listening are focused on uh, sports nutrition before fitter faster stronger we talked a little bit about um, nutrition for aesthetics you know gaining weight losing weight but eating for the mind is it's something different and often people don't necessarily think about it so um yeah if you could kind of just pull apart a little bit around mitochondria um obviously how the brain is extremely hungry around uh, its energy needs and glucose um i think maybe that would be a good place to start to kind of set the scene for the listener and then really keen to kind of ask you a few questions on some of the key uh, kind of neurotrophins um, and you know that kind of process of of uh, supplies and kind of growth signals going into the brain and how nutrition can play a role there and then obviously waste materials and things coming out 
yeah. Um, first of all, going to roll back a little bit. Um, so what a lot of people don't realise is the food we eat can either inflame or reduce inflammation, and this is really important for the brain. And so that the junk food diet will have dramatic um, inflammatory effects on the brain, at, whereas the Mediterranean diet, say a starter diet with lots of fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables, and um, extra virgin olive oil, all those um, foods that we consider to be a healthy diet will have an anti-inflammatory effect and reduce the risk of depression. So many, uh, many people eating a junk food diet are inflaming their brains, and it, it doesn't take long to stop eating those foods. And I think there's one study looked in around about three weeks. If if people started to reduce their intake of junk food and eating a healthier diet, then in around three weeks they saw changes in their mood. So that, that's, that's a really important thing to realise about just our diet, how that can have a tremendous impact on inflammation in our brain. But getting on to the, how much energy the brain needs, um, it needs a vast amount of energy. In fact, it, it takes about 25% of all our glucose and about 20% of our oxygen and, and it only weighs about 2% of our body weight. So we've got this organ which is devouring the, <laughs> a large majority of every every breath of oxygen and every mouthful of food is just going to power this brain. It is hugely resource hungry. Mm. Um, and we're talking a bit about how because it's hugely resource hungry, how we have to manage that. Um, and the, we, we talked about these neurotrophins, these brain nourishers, which act as managers for energy energy resources. So the so some of the neurons, they, there's, there's some that are as long as um, we take all the axons and dendrites into account, that could be four and a half meters in length just for one neuron and I think some of the cholinergic neurons in the forebrain could be up to 100 meters long just for one neuron and when you think that we've got something like 86 billion neurons in our brain mm. we've got we've got all these axons and dendrites could extend easily extend around the whole planet it's it's absolutely astounding and then you have to have millions and millions of mitochondria to be able to work up and down all these uh, axons and dendrites to take the energy up and down, and and the, a, a lot of these mitochondria, they're they're, they're travellers. They they zoom up and down, delivering energy where it's needed, particularly at synapses. Um, and so yes, in in my lecture, uh, I liken this to delivering supplies to the the space station, and in fact, delivering supplies to a space station is probably a little easier than delivering supplies to our synapses because it's taken a billion and a half years of evolution and learning to to get to develop that those structures whereas the space station's only been around for a few decades so um we just take for granted just how difficult it is to get all those supplies and energy um to that those parts of our brain and it's not surprising when we start to get fatigued when we start to get stressed that when our energy starts to drop, that our mood drops because we can no longer get that energy up to those intricate parts of our brain to, to keep us functioning, to keep our brain structure, um, keep its integrity. Mm. 
And obviously, you know, people listening to this, it's incredibly complex, but it's quite comforting to hear that we, you know, we have scientific trials on people uh, changing, you know, what they're eating, um, when they're eating, how much they're eating over a matter of a few weeks. So now because obviously we're all in lockdown at the moment, people are generally going out for a, a food shop once a week. A lot more people will be cooking from scratch this actually might be a you know a good opportunity to start eating to to nourish the mind because obviously um we can take a bit more time to focus on that and i don't know people listening to this if if you reflect on um you know your eating and then generally how you feel you might not have done that before because obviously these days it's about you know fueling performance getting energy for work trying to exercise feeding other people around you so that eating to kind of nourish the brain, the mind, the thoughts and find a bit more balance, um, you know, people listening to this, they can, they can really take this on board and they, and they can see changes uh, quite quickly. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing because we're, we're very social animals too and we need to have good social connections. So some people might find... That, that that enrichment from social connection is, is being strained and, and, and maybe they're longer around people that they find it stressful to be with as well. Yeah. Um, but bearing in mind exactly as you say that a lot of people will be finding they've got time to cook and, and, and spend time to nourish themselves that way, which they didn't before. They're too much in a rush. And, and what I like about the Mediterranean diet is that there's strong social connections. I know the Mediterranean countries are having a real problem with um, COVID-19, but there's something about the uh, connectedness in families which is great for nourishing the body as a whole, not just with food, but just the, the community that goes around eating is so important. And in fact, that's part of the definition of the Mediterranean diet. Mm. It's, the, it's the wonderful food they eat, but also that they're, they're cooking together, they're eating together, they've taken time out from the day to, to eat together. And so there's the social enrichment as well as the, um, as well as the great foods that they're eating. And, and, and the UNESCO definition of the Mediterranean diet also includes, if at all possible, to eat off plates from uh, a, a local um, pottery and glasses uh, made locally and cutlery and, and just try to have everything sourced as locally as possible so you're nourishing every part of the body from your local resources. Mm. I think that's another thing that people don't necessarily think about if they've got more time now to create their kind of uh, main meals or snacks or beverages. Like you said there, um, the setting, uh, what you're serving, the uh, the food and the drink and things in you know that can make a, a massive difference because obviously these these utensils and obviously the people you're sharing the meal with can can mean quite a lot to you so um yeah so interesting so is is it fair to say that um I know we're not going to go too deep into the science on audio form and I can link to your books and things but you know the modulation of these pathways they 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 can actually be supported not only like you said via nutrition and eating whole foods and essential fats and i know we'll get into certain nutrients in a minute but it's also the setting the environment like you said there we're social animals so we, we you know we we can kind of uh, contribute to supporting this process not only by the food but also the environment that we're kind of eating it in 
Yeah, um, I mean, particularly oxytocin is, is a really important one. Oxytocin, um, when we're can, uh, the opposite is true as well when we're traumatized by people with the, the brain inflamed. Um, but when we're with people we really care about in situations we feel really comfortable with and at home with, we produce more oxytocin. Um, and oxytocin will activate the uh, vagus nerve. Um, move us into the parasympathetic nervous system, away from the sympathetic nervous system, into parasympathetic activity, and the parasympathetic nervous system through the vagus nerve will release acetylcholine, which will drive down inflammation in the brain. It will um, suppress toll-like receptors. It will uh, support mitochondria. So when we move into that position of being really comfortable, and I know it's difficult to get out in, in, into the countryside at the moment, but uh, even being in a green environment or by the sea is, is really important for that, that kind of activation of, of the vagus nerve to heal the brain and um, heal our mitochondria. Mm. And if we look on the other side, another uh, aspect of your lecture that I found fascinating, uh, you kind of elucidated to some of the early years and psychological stresses and how that can influence things um, from a, an inflammation point of view I think you highlighted something around uh, interleukin 6 and like childhood bullying um, so I know that's again it's a huge area to unpack over a short podcast like this but I suppose it just gives the listener an example of how you know if you're if you're living the here and now and you're trying to to eat real food and interact with the people you love and when you can take some time go outside into uh, you know green spaces or get some sea air there, there's also um, you know cases where in the past um, you know things could have happened that that can uh, influence your 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 mood and 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 the way things are in terms of your brain health. Um, you know now we've, even though they were they were years before. Is that is that a safe thing to say too? It it is yeah. I mean we we see this with with my lecture on multiple sclerosis. It's really it's really frustrating that someone through no fault of their own, suffered from trauma, abuse or bullying in their formative years, um, they will have some um, genetic changes. It's frequent and it's not always the case, but they, they are likely to have some genetic changes which predispose them to autoimmunity or chronic inflammation in their, in their later years. Um, and this is, this is really difficult to see, but all we can do is is to look at the factors that can be changed but to i've seen it before with some practitioners if, if someone doesn't respond to diet and lifestyle changes it's to blame them for not trying hard enough which then just perpetuates the, the bullying and the, and the trauma that they've had before mm. and it's not understanding what's what's gone on in their in their formative years and we we know with ms um yes interleukin six is something that tends to be inflamed and can um, uh, make it difficult for someone to overcome inflammatory conditions but also the, the thymus tends with the high cortisol levels from trauma and abuse the thymus gland can change the way it behaves it can shrink it can involute and that changes the way um, the phenotype of t-cells that are produced by the thymus gland um, come out and rather than um, T-regulatory cells, which are anti-inflammatory, they can make more auto-reactive Th17 T-cells, and that can have an impact on depression and mood as well. 
so yeah, it's, it's this this kind of mind body link is, is is really fascinating, and in it's, in, in fibromyalgia, um, we see that people that suffer from a, a trauma or an accident, I mean, quite often they might get um, fibromyalgia after an accident, car accident, for example, um, and they're in chronic pain. That when when they examined through questionnaires what emotional response was going through those people's minds for a long time before they suffered from fibromyalgia, the, the people frequently would say perceived injustice. If they felt that the accident they're involved in was was unjust, that somehow they were wronged and they couldn't get that out of their mind, then they were most likely to uh, have that pain not to resolve and move across to fibromyalgia. So it's, it's really fascinating to see how we somatize some of those um, psychological issues. Mm. God, again, yeah, that's so interesting. And, and like you said, um, there's no kind of quick fix to these things, but it's it's almost, you know, the awareness of that being there and how that could have influenced things over the years. But like you were saying, you'd still recommend, um, obviously it's a case-by-case basis, but you'd still recommend for people to, you know, look into that kind of Mediterranean diet and the eating pattern to look at trying to get some sunlight and into some green spaces and, um, you know, some interesting stuff that might influence the vagus nerve. So it's definitely not completely um, all doom and gloom for people that have, you know, suffered trauma in the past and they do want to move forward or they're still in chronic pain. Like you said, there's little bits of, um, you know, parts of your lifestyle, if it's nutrition or movement or experiences with other people that you can kind of really find value in. Yeah, um, I, I listen to quite a few. I, I just, what was I, when I was going through fatigue, I just went to libraries and bookshops and uh, I just just kept picking up books that I felt really uplifted me and uh, then I'd look at the references in that book and then read another one and and I found uh, I was just taking on this journey that really inspired me and the the important thing when that coming back to brain energy and how that translates that if you can find something that, that lights you up and inspires you those neurotrophins that the those neurotrophins, so there's brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and there's nerve growth factor. So nerve growth factor, when we're when we're when we're in love with someone and we care about someone, whether it's a dog or a person or, or whatever it is, nerve growth factor will uh, be triggered to, to help grow, uh, help regrow our uh, neurons, particularly in the hippocampus, um, which is involved in in mood and and depression. So these, so when we're inspired. The, these neurotrophins, these brain nourishers, start to help direct mitochondria to synapses to get nourishment up into our brain. And it feels that way. When we're inspired, we, we feel like we're more alive. Mm. Um, and it's trying to get ourselves out of doing things that we feel are mundane. And I know it's impossible for some people not to do that. But as much as possible, find time to do something that inspires us because the brain's not designed to give energy to something that we're not interested in. The brain's only, dis- because of this real difficulty getting enough energy into the brain because it's so vast, the brain saves its energy for things that we're inspired by. And these neurotrophins are really kick into action. And um, there's one study that found that in, in animals, when we had an increase in these neurotrophins, um, 
there was 64% more energy going to complex one of the um, mitochondria. So complex one of the mitochondria, it had a greater energy and greater integrity when the when BDNF was, was increased. So it's, it's just wonderful to see this brain able to heal itself when it's given the raw materials, we get inflammation down, we do things we love doing. Um, it's great to see the brain starts to heal itself. Mm. And I'll link to, so I'll, I'll make sure that I get as, as many studies as I can. So if you're listening to this, guys, I'll put um, links to research papers and obviously all of Ray's work into the show notes. Um, move, like move, Moving forward with that, this kind of like brain uh, protective conversation, Ray, there's one uh, thing that I love to drink every morning. Um, and I know as, you know, as a nutritional therapist, when I work with people one on one, um, I'm, I'm almost full time in the corporate environment. You know, people always ask me about coffee, caffeine, you know, how much should I have? I've been told that it's bad. You know, it's it's demonized now really in the work setting because people are, um, you know, they're, they're realizing that they're under stress and obviously coffee and and the way it moves forward. I'm based in London. So you've got all these trendy coffee shops and things everywhere and people are wary. But the interesting thing that I liked about your that presentation that, that I listened to, um, you know, in terms of liquid nutrition, green tea, black tea, black coffee, there's some interesting stuff there, isn't there? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, I think the thing is that people like black and white answers and, uh, yeah. and, and there, aren't any, there aren't any. And, and I think in that London environment, people are, are probably sympathetically activated. They're, they're using their sympathetic nervous system. So if they're drinking lots of coffee on top of that sympathetic activation, then that's a recipe for disaster. Um, but if you can move someone more into parasympathetic activation via the vagus nerve. Um, there's, there's heart rate variability, which is a really interesting um, way of accessing that, um, that when the heart rate becomes more variable, when we take deeper and longer breaths, um, we can change our heart rate variability and help us move into the parasympathetic nervous system. Then I think coffee is, is really good. If we're drinking coffee because we're taking time out and having pleasure in a, a parasympathetic state, then mm. I think that is going to be revealing. So mm. I came across the benefits of caffeine when I was working with Parkinson's on uh, working with, with clients and with um, on my dissertation on Parkinson's too. And I just kept coming across study after study which showed that um, people that had drunk coffee throughout their lives had a far lower risk of Alzheimer's, uh, dementia, and Parkinson's. That really, really went against everything I believed that, like yourself, up, up until now. And and still, people were just like, "No, coffee's really, really bad." But it, it really hooked me. Why, why, why was caffeine so good? And it, it works at lots of different levels. Um, one one thing it um, works to improve the integrity of the blood-brain barrier. So there's adenosine receptors. There's uh, adenosine A2 receptors on the blood-brain barrier, which tightens the seal between the brain and peripheral circulation. So the brain likes to keep itself to itself with its metabolism. And if there's too many toxins or inflammatory molecules crossing the blood-brain barrier, that, then that can inflame the brain and lead to depression. So many people with MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, depression have a bit of a, a leaky blood-brain barrier, and coffee will tighten that barrier and improve the integrity. 
caffeine can also act as an anti-inflammatory. It can downregulate some of these toll-like receptors. Um, but also it can work to help. There's, there's something called CREB in, in uh, neurons. It's a second messenger. So I talked about these neurotrophins. Mm. These neurotrophins, they, they dock into receptors on the neuron surface through receptors, one called track B for uh, BDNF. And then that passes its message on to CREB. And CREB then goes to uh, our DNA and it's a transcription factor and improves mitochondrial, uh, mitochondrial biogenesis. Um, it, it helps to protect brain cells, stops them from dying, reduces inflammation, and further increases um, more brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And that's CREB, that transcription factor, is supported by caffeine. So the message of all the things we do about feeling good are amplified by caffeine, but only as long as we don't use caffeine to stress ourselves out even more. It's getting off that treadmill of that... Uh, treadmill of I must get this done, must get that done, have a coffee, must get this done, must get that done. No, we have to take time out and drink our coffee and make make sure we're fully relaxed. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. And again, I think in the in the kind of current circumstances and people at home having hopefully, you know, more time, then that's something that they can experiment with and they can, you know, change the relationship with certain meals or snacks or their food environment in general but then also looking at what they're drinking too so um you know that that really hit home with me and i think i've got more of an opportunity in the morning now to enjoy coffee to take time yes. over it the preparation because usually it's straight in the flask commuting and you you know what it's like when it's busy in london you get you get in yes. you get to your desk i'm guzzling it down um and and then go from there whereas you know each morning getting some sunlight walking a little bit uh having having a cup of coffee preparing for things like you know the conversation with yourself and it and it really does make a difference and um you know it could be the first time people listening to this have heard about heart rate variability but um a simple way to kind of look into that because i know so many of us now wear these um watches uh and often ones that do track heart rate you can see um, there is a setting in there for some devices that will look at heart rate variability. So you can wake up in the morning sometimes and you can and you can generally see where your average resting heart rate is from the night before. And, um, you know, again, there's there's a lot that goes into this. But I think if you just do the kind of N equals one and and, and look at your own data, if you do kind of track heart rate, you'll you'll see, like Ray said, if you're up. 10 15 beats or down 10 15 beats you know than you normally are then you're questioning oh what's going on here you know where's my sleep what have i been eating drinking has there been alcohol have i been training you know quite a lot now so um yeah it's it's, it's the heart rate variability is an interesting one and like you said it's it's a it's an interesting marker to to look at the uh you know the, the the way the nervous system and and you know that kind of flux between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic might yeah. work for someone. Yeah, there's a there's also an app um, by a company called HeartMath where you can download. It's quite expensive; it's about 160 pounds, but uh, I think it's overpriced. But it's really good. Yeah. And you can download it from Amazon and put that on your iPhone or or onto your Android phone, and can there's a little probe you put on your ear and you sit down and it just looks at the variability over over several minutes and uh, just by uh, changing your breathing 
um, you can uh, move into parasympathetic activity. And what I find fascinating, there's a, um, I forgot his name, uh, Ed Bullmore, he's, writ- he's written a book about, um, about depression um, and inflammation depression. And in, in it, he mentioned uh, that there's, there's receptors, there's stretch receptors in our lungs that when we inhale as deeply as possible, the stretch receptors in our lungs, which stop us damaging our lungs. So when we get to a certain point when we've fully inflated our lungs, these stretch receptors kick in the vagus nerve to say, okay, relax the lungs. You don't want to damage the lungs, so relax the lungs. Um, And that is a, a cheeky way of moving ourselves into parasympathetic activity because by fully inflating our lungs, fully stretching these these receptors, it then kicks the parasympathetic nervous system. Oh, that's amazing. So what was that? You you broke up slightly when you were uh, um, when you're explaining the the author's name. Was it so? It, it, what was his name again? And what's the book called? It's uh, Ed Bullmore and um, the Inflamed Mind is in, the Inflamed Mind is is the book. Cool. He, it's more he doesn't give you too much information it's more about his own personal journey okay. going from being um a normal doctor to a psychiatrist um and just how the medical community was so split between the mind and the body that they really took the mickey out of him when he started to see links between inflammation and and mood and depression that again they always thought psychiatrists always thought that people were depressed because they were ill Mm. not because the 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 inflammation that is in common with both conditions was driving the condition and also the mood disorder Uh, and it's taken many many years and um so it's, it's more about his personal journey and being so excited about how the medical community is slowly opening up to accept inflammation as a driver of um, of depression. That's interesting. And have you experimented at all in any of this breath work? Again, people might think it's quite complex, but there must be a few kind of tools out there that you can follow and you could probably spend, you know, a few minutes of your day just uh, doing really. Yes, I mean, meditation, we, we, know, we know that, um, so yes, I've got the HeartMath app, uh, I also did a course on Buteco breathing as well, which I believe would um, uh, access that as well. It's using similar kind of breathing techniques to help people with, mainly with asthma really, but that also helps people move into parasympathetic activity. Um, but interestingly, yoga and meditation, people were, they measured people's BDNF levels, the neurotrophin, the brain nourisher, neurotrophin bdnf they measured their bdnf levels before uh, a yoga meditation retreat and afterwards and after after three months of this yoga meditation retreat their bdnf levels have tripled Mm. Um, and that's largely because they've moved more into parasympathetic um, dominance rather than sympathetic dominance and that increased their brain derived neurotrophic factor so people might get more touchy-feely because they're feeling that way because they've moved out of that sympathetic, disconnected way of being. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's so interesting. And, and again, obviously, you know, I opened up the conversation with you around diet 
But I think it's good to tease out some of these lifestyle practices too, because often, you know, people, eating is a learned behavior. There's a lot of barriers sometimes around changing uh, what you're eating, when you're eating, how much you're eating. So it's good to see that you can kind of piggyback these other tools and tactics on as well. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's obviously such a strange and difficult time, but it does hopefully give people listening the chance to delve into some of these lifestyle practices. Like you said, even just take uh, an extra five, 10 minutes over their morning coffee. So that's basically why I wanted to get you on. I was I was taking some time to read about a different area, the kind of mind, body and diet connection came across your work and just thought, actually, you know what, this could be a really interesting time to have a conversation about this because yeah. people are hopefully, you know, slowing down. Yeah, yes, and it's not everything we're talking about is not disassociated from uh, coronavirus and COVID nineteen. It's not at all. I mean, the people that are most vulnerable to getting severe symptoms from the viral infection are the ones that have diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, um, all these conditions that make people vulnerable to um, the virus. Um, are down to not doing the very things we've been talking about. Mm. Um, say, for example, with with diabetes. So, um, the there's very high, high levels of sugar coursing through someone's veins will lead to an inflammatory response in their blood vessels um, because of the high sugar. Um, with with heart disease, there's there's mitochondrial problems. Um, there's inflammatory problems through mitochondria not being able to cope with it, the amount of calcium coming into into the heart and that that calcium will be driving the, the proliferation of viruses viruses thrive in high calcium environments and so many of the inflammatory conditions will have high intracellular calcium which will exacerbate viral replication so that, that's interesting how people have these chronic health conditions can predispose themselves to 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 viral replication mm. i think I, lo- I loved your quote in the presentation um when you said sugar undermining for our mental health you know that's such an interesting statement but i think you know people that are listening to this obviously you opened up the conversation talking about how you know the brain it's it's a very hungry organ it consumes a lot of glucose so obviously people associate sugar glucose um you know in terms of nourishing the brain and carbohydrates if people aren't familiar with the Mediterranean diet, you know, what does that look like in terms of real foods then? You know, where can people get their carbohydrates from that are still quite nourishing? Um, well, if, if, if someone is, this is a real, this is such a move towards ketogenic diets and, and, and there's nothing against them at all. Um, but they can be, if it's only you doing it, it can be quite isolating. Um, and it's difficult. Some some studies say it's a short-term thing. Some people say it's a long-term thing. But the Mediterranean diet has been uh, has, has stood the test of time as being one of the um, most healthy diets around for our, our total well-being. So so plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables and local as as possible. The the key seems to be extra virgin olive oil with that as well. And and some people may be averse to fat and, and, and wrongly because extra virgin olive oil has, it's not just a, a good oil, but it contains really good polyphenols within it. And that with 
a great mixture of fruits and vegetables and I mean, they do suggest whole grains but some people that that is um, not easy for them particularly if they've got gut difficulties mm. um, and, and then there's the then there's trying to make it as I said before a community experience where you I know it's difficult in these times but to to cook with family if you can and take time to eat taking time to eat is is so so important and as you said you've, you've thought about now not just um, filling your flask and going off it's just taking time to just really appreciate what you're eating and and, and really take in I don't know I don't know how to explain it really but there, it's kind of there's a just a real love of eating isn't there that you can get into and that that's just as important as the as the nutrients that you're eating yes yeah exactly I think um you know I don't I don't tend to post you know huge amounts of nutrition information on online for people and um I quite like having the the kind of uh the gap between what what I do professionally and then obviously I do a bit of it on the podcast but I quite like to use Instagram and the story side of things when I'm filming my food to capture exactly that what you were saying you know the love of cooking after work uh playing around in the kitchen dishing up having a bit of fun and that for me you know people might come across that page and think wow you know this isn't particularly professional but for me it it just at the end of the day it just really helps me wind down um and kind of ignite all of those processes that you were talking about and i and and you know i kind of i really enjoy doing that and it's and it's a nice way for me to kind of uh yeah just uh feel fulfilled around around my food and my nutrition and 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 kind of uh yeah get involved in that really so no i can i can definitely connect with that and um it is interesting and and i think you know more people are hearing about these ketogenic diets um but like you said it can be quite isolating and also um you know that that practical side of things and it's a big overhaul for the average person to have to give something like that a go but you know the good thing is there's there are people out there that, that that you can work with. You can obviously read about these diets, but you know there's just no reason to kind of go to a complete endpoint straight away overnight. You know, it's just looking at little things and making simple and small changes. Really, I think. There's there's components um, within um, this this healthy Mediterranean diet or fruit and vegetable rich diet. There's there's components within. Um, which will act as mimics for BDNF, um, and I, I find that that fascinating too. That they can they can dock it in and they can mimic a brain derived neurotrophic factor. So when we're eating these uh, foods, not only are they beneficial as a whole, but they contain specific um, components like polyphenols, which will dock in mm. and help uh, improve our brain too. So things like uh, the red fruits and berries, pomegranate, raspberry, strawberry, um, blackberry, um, also nuts, walnuts and pecan, um, omega-3 fatty acids, beneficial bacteria, um, they can also support uh, uh, neurotrophins and uh, BDNF as well. Mm. Um, in fact, uh, some people call them, I think psychobiotics they will call them because of the important connection between the gut and the brain. Um, there's hesperidin, rutin, and esin and pigeonin, these are all food components which can help dock into our receptors and help heal our brain. And it, interestingly, St. John's wort contains rutin. We know that's a herbal antidepressant, 
but when you take the rutin out of St. John's wort, it no longer has an antidepressant effect. So it's, it's the, St. John's wort needs that rutin to be able to dock into our receptors in our brain to have its antidepressant effect. Mm. Yeah, that was one of the uh, other aspects of the presentation that I found really interesting, and I've had that. I'm actually looking at a list of notes and all the things you're saying there from obviously those kind of red fruits and berries, nuts, omega-3, and then some of that information around St. John's wort and rutin. So, um, yeah, you know, look, if you are if you are a nutritional therapist and you're listening to this and you're BANT registered, get over to that presentation and watch it, listen to it. It's, uh, you know, it's extremely valuable. So, Ray, look, thanks so much for your time. I think people are going to have to pause, reverse, you know, listen to this show again. There's so many interesting nuggets in there. Um, now, I really appreciate you kind of going through uh, this with me. Um, how can people stay in touch with you? Um, obviously, I'll, I'll put links to everything that the listeners need in the show notes. Um, but yeah, it'd be good to hear um, yeah, how people can stay in touch and, and what you're working on at the moment. Um, well, I've got three three books. There's the Depression, the Mind, Body, Diet and Lifestyle Connection. That's the latest one, which is available on Kindle uh, and Audible as well. There's, if you... If you if you've got some time to spare, there's a um, the audio book is read wonderfully by a guy called Marston York, um, and he's got such a rich voice, which helps with the material, I believe. Um, there's um, my book Mitochondria in, in Health and Disease. That's uh, that's my first book, and uh, Parkinson's an in-depth metabolic guide. If people are interested in Parkinson's, uh, I do teach at CNM and. Uh, I do when I can write articles um, and I was due to give a, a lecture on inflammation and uh, depression for Food for the Brain, a charity in London in May to, to coincide with Mental Health Week but that I, I think, I get the feeling that's going to be delayed. I'm, I'm also lecturing in Bristol in October um, for um, the, a, band, a local bank group and it's going to be on uh, inflammation and mitochondria and depression. That, that's, that's in October. But again, things are up in the air at the moment. Just don't know what's going to happen with regard to mass gatherings. Mm. And do you still work with people one-on-one one -on -one in terms of um, nutritional therapy? Or are you focused on your, your writing and, and your lecturing and your kind of education communications? Yeah, that's, um, that is increasing the lecturing and the, and the education and I, I still see I still see a handful of people with Parkinson's I've just taken on someone recently with MS but I, I don't see that many people I, I, I keep it I find if I, I love researching and reading and writing and I find if I get my uh, books too full I'm so overwhelmed with the patients that I'm not able to concentrate on the researching and writing and that that's why I, I really love uncovering things and making connections in my mind and i and i and i so i yeah i don't see too many people perfect now that makes sense great um and it's really good around the audible version too um for your book i'm definitely going to go and get on that after this because um yeah i love just uh walking around and listening and i think um it just tends to go in uh on a deeper level uh when i listen to things i learn so much more don't get me wrong obviously you know reading works and I love taking notes and things and sitting open with a book or a journal 
um but yeah the audible version that's uh that's really good and um yeah it's it's interesting that you got someone to 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 read the book for you too so i'm, I'm looking forward to listening to that yeah he's a really good actor so um he's able to get into the tone of the material really really well cool okay oh fantastic look so thanks so much for your time again ray and look lovely people there's so many resources uh, that you have hopefully picked up from the show today i hope you found some of the discussions valuable uh, keep in touch with ray obviously around um, all of the books the audible version and if you are a training nutritional therapist you may come across him um, and obviously he does uh, work and things through band and stuff too so that's how i found out about him so uh, hope you stay well stay home um, continue to uh you know, exercise the social distancing and um, yeah, have a healthy week.